This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 1. This is Writing Excuses, variations on first person. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we are beginning season 12. We are extremely excited to bring this season to you guys. We have decided that we really like the format we've been using the last few years, where we take an entire topic across 12 months and break it into smaller parts. This year's topic is going to be structure. We're going to be talking about things like viewpoint. We're going to be talking about things like voice. We're going to be talking about how to specifically write stories of different length. There'll be an entire month on short fiction. Yay! We will be doing all kinds of really exciting things. And like before, we're going to post for you on the liner notes the monthly topics so you can get ready for them. The other big thing we're doing is we are inviting some permanent long-term co-hosts onto the podcast. This means that, well... And, and we're so excited because we'll be welcoming uh, Wesley Chu and Marianne Mohanraj and Piper Drake on with us. And what's going to happen is every second week of the month, I'm going to fly to Chicago. And I'm going to still live in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to stay home. And we will have the second week be an exploration of some topic related to what happens in the first week. Now, the first week will be the four of us. As you've grown to know and love. Yay. Or at least know <laughs> and tolerate. Um, and then the second week will be in Chicago with a, a different team slightly shaken up. Yeah, so that the second week is going to be me and Brandon and Wes and Marianne. And then the third week will generally be some sort of wild card Often with the four of us, not always with the four of us. Again, we love the wild cards, just letting us do anything that we come across. Usually this will be with a guest recorded at a convention of some sort. But it, it is completely what we want to do. And then fourth week will be me and Dan and Howard, Howard and Piper Drake, who is an awesome writer who you'll get to know across 12 different episodes over the year. Our goal with this is this idea that we as writers tend to to repeat ourselves a bit. Mm -hmm. And those of you who've been listening for 12 seasons might see hear the same things over and over. But when we invite someone new on the podcast, we find that it causes us to look at things new way and it digs new ideas out of our brains well, while also just injecting some new viewpoints and perspectives into it. And we think that's extremely valuable to you. This is actually brought to you by the Patreon specifically. We can do this because you guys have been supporting the podcast and we wanted to thank you and let you know what your money is doing. And it's specifically bringing you these extra guest hosts for the entire course of the year. Yay. And we do know that at least one of this, these guests is confirmed for the cruise this year. That's right. We will have uh, Wesley Chu and Piper on the cruise okay, with so us two next of year. Them yes. Are confirmed. And so the goal is we will do this in future years with different guest stars and try to bring as many of them as we can on the cruise so you can listen to them all season, get to know them, and then come with questions, be familiar with their work, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Now, that is season 12. We are extremely excited and we are starting with what I call variations on first person. And this is we want to dig really deeply into first person. 
um, the different types of first person specifically. And so I'm going to kind of pitch this at the, um, at the podcasters because when I was brand new at this, I thought there was first person, there was third person, and I had kind of heard of this omniscient thing, and that was it. But the more I write, the more I realize that there are tons of variations within those that are different tools used for different purposes. So let me ask you this. One of the most famous types that kind of shows this to people, we've mentioned it before in the podcast, is epistolary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an epistolary is basically a first-person narrative that is written in the form of letters or journals. It is The idea is that the character was actually writing it, and usually it's, it's called epistolary because it is usually involving letters. Uh, frequently right. these have multiple first-person points of view. So Dracula is a good example of this. Uh, Lady Susan um, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. And then, um, oh, shoot. Sorcery and Cecilia. Thank you, Patricia Reed. Mm-hmm. I was try- trying to pull that one out of my brain, and it was not there. Um, so these are all things where it appears that you have characters who are writing letters back and forth. Yep, or they're writing in their journal. Yes. Or there was a contemporary version of this called Illuminae, which was done through the form of government documents, texts, and things like this that were collected by an agency. And so you have all these texts, and they actually would redact it. They would black out certain things as if you had gotten the files and you were a government worker and you're reading through these case files and things. It's, um, it's a very interesting means of doing a first person. Um, we'll define all these first, and then I'm going to start talking about why would you use the different ones. Um, when someone sits down to kind of write a first person, I feel that they immediately start with something I call reflective narrator. Can you guys maybe talk about this to jog your memory? This is like um, what Bilbo did. Um, where the first person narrator years later is sitting down and reflecting on their life and writing writing it down. Yeah, I, no crap. There I was, surrounded by, <laughs> and then off we go into into some sort of a story. And I use that as as an example because you've probably in real life, yeah, heard somebody. Mm-hmm begin relating a story in exactly that, that way. And one of the reasons it's, it's effective is because it feels natural to us. It feels, it, it feels real. Yeah, and one of the things about the epistolary form in particular and this reflective narrator is that the, the person who is writing is writing to one specific character, usually. Occasionally mm-hmm. you will have variations on that where it's like, to whoever finds this letter that I have cast into the sea. <laughs> right. But, but they are writing it for a reason and a purpose, and that is shown in the reason that, you know, in, in their, the, the, their reflections yeah. on what happened. And, and uh, the novel that the Prestige movie was based on yes. mm. was epistolary with a lot of back and forth writing to each other. And there was a lot of kind of hidden motive involved in the letters that they were sending. So let me ask you this. What's the difference between first-person reflective like a reflective narrator and an epistolary, if it's basically just a long epistolary piece. You can have a first-person reflective um, when when it is the character who is speaking, and the way you you do that is the, the way it's the structured is a lot of um, a lot of it is going to come up in the the sound of it. Uh, when someone is speaking, you get a lot more of the ums and the ers and the things like that, mm-hmm. e- even in in written form. So this uh, this is going to have a, a more spontaneous quality. Yeah. 
than an epistolary, which is going to have a more studied quality. You don't necessarily expect an epistolary to be the first draft that someone is mailing off. Yeah, and as you as you double down on epistolary and start creating redacted government documents within within your work, what you are really creating in your book is a collection of in-universe artifacts. Mm-hmm. And that idea of, you know, this piece of text is an in-universe artifact is really cool. It adds to a sense of immersion. It makes the, it makes the reader at some point, you know, if, if you've done it right and they've bought off on this, um, they are on a voyage of discovery through your universe and learning about it through these things that you have dug up and then provided to them. Yeah. You know, Though, I, I would say the first-person relective has its own cool aspects to it because epistolary, yeah. if it has a drawback, it can feel very just disjointed. Mm-hmm. You're like, who's, I'm only getting a snippet from this person. Whose viewpoint am I in right now? What happened in an intervening time? I'm confused. Where a first-person reflective narrator really can have that sense of a grand story well told by a storyteller. Um, mm-hmm. Two big examples in genre of this, I'd say the two biggest ones um, of recent years of the, of the kind of contemporary fantasy era would be Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb and then Name of the Wind um, yeah. by Pat Rothfuss. Oh, uh, interesting, because I don't think of that as an epistolary. Although no, no, I'm saying these are both oh, reflective oh. narrators. R- yes, narrator. yes. Um, yeah. These are the big examples of reflective narrator, and you can see kind of the difference between these and something like Dracula in that it is generally one person telling a story intentionally, um, whereas epistolary usually is we're just writing letters to each other and there's a story behind the scenes or bu- that we don't yeah. understand that's growing that's out right. of it. And I think that that's key to epistolary and key to making epistolary unique is that it's not just one voice, but several different ones, or at least two different ones that are interacting and have something going on behind the scenes. Well, and the other thing about the epistolary form is that it requires the reader to be much more active participant Mm -hmm. because they have to stitch things together. Mm. A good example of this, I think, is Sherry Priest's Maplebrook. Uh, which is is basically it's Lizzie Borden meets uh, Isn't that Lovecraft. Maplecroft, Maple excuse yeah. me, Maplecroft. Um, Lizzie Borden meets Lovecraft, and it's all told through letters back and forth and and some journal entries, and you have to piece together what happened. And because each narrator is unreliable, you have to figure out exactly what happened and what went down, and that really does. It, it it does cause the, the reader to have to be much more engaged. It's like interactive storytelling in some ways without the choose-your-own-adventure aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I do think the line is kind of blurry between the two because if you look at original yeah. Lovecraft, most of those are take the form of a long journal entry or letter that somebody is writing about oh, yeah. a creepy experience that happened to them. But it feels more like a reflective narrator in that, let me tell you this crazy thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. And we have a special treat for our book of the week this week because my lovely and intelligent wife is going to talk to you about a book she read recently and really liked. Okay, I recently read The Star-Touched Queen by Roshani Choksi. 
And it's a story inspired by Indian folklore and Greek mythology. It tells the story of 17-year-old Maya, who was a princess, ostracized by her father's court because of the terrible horoscope that was revealed at her birth. And one of the fun things about this book is the very elegant and descriptive prose. Um, It was fun to read for that reason. Um, The character of Maya is very well done. She's a strong character and a fun character to get to know as she kind of discovers herself. Um, It's a debut novel, and I felt that the plot got a little muddled at times, but in the end, she pulls out a story that is so evocative and descriptive and fun to read that I really enjoyed it. Um, One of my favorite things about this was the addition of the Indian folklore, and I learned a lot that I had not known about some of these things and went and had to go and look up some Indian folklore. Um, I really enjoyed this book, and if you are prepared for a bit of romantic gushing, you will also enjoy this book. Okay, that was The Star-Touched Queen by Roshani Choksky. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it correctly, Uh, but it'll be in the liner notes. She was on a panel with me at Dragon Con, and she was brilliant and blew me away, which is why I bought the book and started reading it too. And Emily always finishes things before I do. Um, (laughs) So that's why I brought her up uh, to give the promo on it. And it is in first person. Um, So... Let's talk about the last of the first-person types that I have written down. Now, these are not the only variations. These are the big ones I see. And this is what I'm going to call first-person immediate. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, this is this kind of interesting viewpoint that is used most commonly right now in YA stories. Um, It's it's become the standard and dominant. And this is a first-person that isn't really in the context of someone telling the story after the fact. It just feels like you are there and they are narrating their life to you in some sort of magical way that doesn't involve it ever being written down. Um, it's, it's almost like a third person limited in first person where they're sticking you in the person's head, but you are hearing it strictly from their viewpoint. Hunger Games is in this and a lot of the contemporary YA stories are in it. Yeah, That's, John Cleaver has written this yes, way John as Cleaver. well. Um, and I actually struggled quite a bit when I started with trying to figure out if this was going to be a reflective narrator or not and decided, partly for reasons of it being horror, I didn't want the safety of knowing he was going to live through it, and so I didn't want to say, I am now 70 years old, and I'm going to tell you about my childhood as a demon hunter or whatever, Um, but also because of that immediacy. And it does really bring you into the character in a way that, you know, no other form can. There is one place in the book where you slip from that, and that's when you say, there's a line, I'm not going to give the whole line, but you slip and you say, um, this is, of course, before we knew that. Mm -hmm. And that's on the first page. Yeah. And that that was a concession to making people know that it was going to turn supernatural later on. Uh, that didn't entirely work, but that's a different yeah. podcast. I, the, the first person, the the first person um, immediate, uh, both of the um, both of the Space Eldritch books that I uh, stories that I wrote, um, and my uh, my story for Shadows Beneath were first person present tense. Yep. Because mm-hmm. and, and Brandon, I like the way you described that. It's it's third person limited, where uh, where some of the where some of the boundaries have been stripped away and you're just sort of packed right into that person's head. Uh, these, were, these were horror stories, and I love the way that works. It is very immediate. It is very... It's obvious that it is not reflective because it's present tense. Um, and, 
and I, I kept trying to step away from that voice to see if I could tell those stories in third person, and I couldn't. And this is most commonly present tense, which is kind of what why YA is dominated by a lot of present tense is because this kind of steals some of the best parts of third person limited and some of the best parts of first person, steals the ability to have a strong voice, really strong voice from first person, but it steals the kind of um, the um, get bonding to the character as they are rather than partially to the character at another time frame from something like first-person reflective. And that is, I think, one of the big differences is when you're reading Assassin's Apprentice or you're reading Name of the Wind or even to an extent The Hobbit, you are realizing that someone after the fact is telling the story and that storyteller's personality is a lens through which you see the story and you, you as a writer and as a reader have to build two different characters. There is, in the Assassin's Apprentice books, there is Fitz, who is the wiser, older, more broken person who is writing this narrative, and there is Fitz, the young kid who's still idealistic, who is living them. And that division can be really cool, but can also cause a little bit of confusion, and it can divide your resources, so to speak. The other thing that it, it allows you with, with that division and, and something that is um, very useful about first person is that it allows you to have the narrator comment on their emotional state. Yes. Uh, and in in stage terms, this is the soliloquy, where the, narr- the the character steps away from the action of the play to the audience and then delivers, you know, to be or not to be. The, the soliloquy, which explains their emotional state, it breaks the fourth wall, it addresses the audience directly, and then it returns to it. We used to see that in third person with the address to the gentle reader. Uh, and now it is something that we pretty much only see in first person. So, Dan, why did you choose first person instead of third person? What advantages did it give you when you were writing John Cleaver? Well, with John Cleaver in particular, the voice is the reason that the book works. And I like first person because it essentially replaces your narrator with a character. And when you're writing third person, you have all of your characters plus an extra one named narrator that is kind of sort of me as the author and kind of sort of nobody. And I wanted to just do away with that altogether. And so you really get to know John Cleaver or, you know, which, whatever other character really well. Like I said before, it's, it's in a way that you can't, you can't do it with something else. I did the same thing and I actually went first person in The Hollow City. Uh, neither of those are really classified as YA, which is interesting that this is a predominantly YA thing. I wouldn't um, say it's predominantly a YA thing. I would say YA is dominated by it. That's true. Um, but that's different from saying it is prom- it, yeah, yeah, well, and, and now that I think about it, one of my very favorite book series that I talk about a lot, The Saxon Chronicles by Bernard Cornwell, this is kind of a weird mixture of w- immediate first person and reflective first person because there are some of the books where he is constantly referencing that now I am an old man and I am sitting here in my tower and I am writing this. And then there are other books that don't do it at all. And it's really fascinating to watch Cornwell flip back and forth between those and how they each serve a different purpose. That if I want you to be really, really engaged in this story right now, then he does away and kind of steps back from that larger frame story. And there are other times where he wants you to reflect and he wants you to think about the passage of time and the wheels of fate and all of these things. And that's when the frame story will step in and take over. 
Yeah, I used that um, actually with uh, Lady Astronaut of Mars and also with, um, oh, I can't remember the name of my own stories, Forest of Memory. Uh, and, and part of the reason I use that, and, and it's actually, I have a, a theory that this is one of the reasons that first person is becoming very prominent these days is because it works really, really well in audio. Yeah. Exactly for the reason that you were saying, Dan, about replacing one of the characters. Because in audio, I have to think about the narrator as a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the things that I did with both of these is that it is reflective in that the story is, the story is being told to someone who is listening to it right now. Um, and, but, but it is being told about something in the past. And the, so there's also an immediacy to it in that the character is being changed by the action of telling the story. Uh, yes. There's a, there's a meta element to all this. When, when you mentioned the fourth wall earlier, um, I had a fascinating argument with uh, one of my editors at Privateer Press about first-person present tense, where I said, you know, I love first-person present tense because the way it's worded, you have no idea whether or not this, this voice is going to survive to the end of the story. The story could just end. Uh, and he said, no, that's exactly the opposite. If it's being told in first person, I know they're going to live to the end. And I had to ask, well, why, why do you know that? And he said, well, how else did I get the book? That idea is, is weird, and once you start thinking about it, how did I get this book? Who is this narrator? Where is this line between the story universe and the universe in which the story was placed in my hands and my universe in which I'm reading the story? And that's weird to think about it and weird to think about. And the reason I bring it up is that there are readers for whom that is an actual hurdle. Yeah, and, and I don't know how to clear it for them. Well, and that, I think, is actually one of the reasons that epistolary tales come in is because it, it, that frame story that goes around it is one of the things that allows you to still wonder if the character is going to survive. And it gives you the, well, this is how I got it, because they mailed it to someone else. So it was mm-hmm. not with them when they died. Now, one of the things that I did with John Cleaver specifically to avoid the problem that Howard just mentioned is I started, after that one first-page concession to a frame story, I started having John address the audience directly. Very rarely, but he does it. And usually, and often when he does it, it's either for a joke or to tell you that he doesn't know what's going to happen next. And so he'll specifically express uncertainty to help give you the sense that you're not reading something he wrote, but that he's speaking to you right now. Awesome. So, as I said, there's a lot of depth to exploring even within first person. Um, And I wanted to assign you some homework, which is to take the same idea, a writing prompt you've had, and write a short narrative based on it in one of these three first person formats, either epistolary, reflective narrator, or first person immediate. Then I want you to try it in the other two so that you can personally explore how these three different forms of first person are different tools that achieve different things. Just do a short narrative, whatever it is. You could even take something you've already written in one and change it into the other two. But until you've tried all three, until you've tried doing a piece of them, I don't think it'll really pop out at you how this all works. Now, we will be back next week with the Chicago team, where we'll be talking about how to specifically create a powerful first-person voice. I wanted to give you a warning that the week after that, we're going to be doing a wild card. The four of us will be back together, and we'll be talking about risk assessment, which is the bonus story 
in the Schlock Mercenary volume, Force Multiplication. And so this is your spoiler warning. If you want to get that and read it before we talk, we'll be having Sandra Taylor on as a guest because she was the author of it. And we will discuss in depth with no holds barred uh, spoilers about that bonus story. All right. Thank you guys so much. We are excited to have you in season 12 of Writing Excuses. This has been Writing Excuses, and you're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.